Welcome to Season 1 of the Unsung Battles Podcast. I'm Ian Anderson, and I'm on a mission to understand the tactics and the truths that men use to overcome their darkest days. Just like your physical body, your mental strength needs to be trained and developed. Everyday men fight battles against personal tragedies, mental illness, addiction, suicide, injustices, and other seemingly insurmountable obstacles. By sharing the power in these stories, I believe they will fortify our minds and encourage the bond of brotherhood. Whether you're listening for yourself or in an effort to help another, men capable of winning in mental combat are needed. So let's get to work. Welcome to the Unsung Battles Podcast. I'm Ian. Had just a quick announcement before we jump into the episode. Um, we are looking for men that want to participate in a pilot program known as The Forge. The Forge is a project built towards giving men an opportunity to unplug from the world, get off grid a little bit, to form a bond with each other and uncover their purpose or their vision, their ideal self, and provide them with tools and tactics they can use to take steps closer to that vision and support each other and hold each other accountable as they strive to be that man they want to be. So this is, as I said, a pilot program. Um, it will be taking place in the Park City, Utah area. Dates currently are June 30th to July 2nd. Um, it will likely only be two of those days, um, but that's the weekend that we are aiming for. And would love to find some guys that are willing to take a chance and come try this program out. Um, there will be a link in the show notes that you can use to sign up for more information. Um, so the link in the notes is not a commitment to attend, but it's just letting us know, hey, I'm interested. I'd like to know more. And that will give us the opportunity to set some time apart to give you a call, talk through kind of what to expect, let you ask questions, um, and kind of go over the goals of the project. Should be a should be a pretty awesome experience. And if you have any questions or you're you know it's not quite landing or you just want some more information, feel free to reach out to me personally. You can connect with me whether it is or isn't about the forge, or maybe it's about the podcast, whatever it may be at Win Mental Combat, whether that be on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, we're on all three of those, all of those at Win Mental Combat. And let's jump into today's episode. Tom, welcome. Welcome to the podcast, man. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really, you know, really admire what you're doing and I'm so really, really honored to be a part of, of what you're doing. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, it's, it's good to hear that, that the stories are having an impact and, and finding ears that are, that are ready. So, um, yeah, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what are you up to in life? Where are you at? Yeah. So, uh, you know, first and foremost, I, I am a father of four awesome kids and have a beautiful wife and we're, uh, living in Southeastern Idaho right now. Um, currently working as a PA or as a physician assistant. Yeah, loving loving life up here in the beautiful land of of Idaho. One of the first questions I always like to ask is just to get a sense of what your outlook on life is and kind of where you're at 
mentally and what kind of headspace you're working with and yeah so you know me and my wife like we always I, I feel like there's multiple times during the week that we'll just kind of pause and be like wow is this our life you know we feel we feel really lucky we feel really blessed i feel like life is good you know and and because life is good it doesn't mean life is perfect you know there's there's a lot of crap that still happens in a good life but as far as my outlook i i feel like i've come a long way and i still have a long way to go but life's been good and overall feel really excited about the future and about you know the possibilities ahead nice so you kind of mentioned that you'd um that you come a long way uh, what's that journey looked like for your outlook on life yeah you know i feel like especially with mental health it's it's a day-to-day battle you win some you lose some but there's been a lot of people along the way that have helped therapy has been a huge part of my journey huge advocate of therapy incorporating you know the, the things i've learned from therapy in the past and you know relying on relationships those are those are the things that makes life sweet for me like i said it's not always it's not always perfect but there's always there's hope now for me in my future so i feel, I feel like in the past that it um it was a lot more difficult in the past um when i wasn't quite sure what was what was going on with my mental health but but now that you know, I've learned tools and, you know, kind of have, have named it and tamed it. Life's, life's a day at a time and, and it's going well. That's good to hear, man. You know, you've kind of talked about starting therapy and what was your relationship to therapy prior to starting that up? Were there any kind of preconceptions that you had around that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's uh, kind of an Achilles heel of our society in general, that therapy is only for those that are broken, right? Who would want to go to therapy and, and feel more broken? And there's just this huge stigma around it. And I remember the first time, and I, I've met with multiple therapists in my past, um, but the first, the, the very first appointment I ever had with a therapist, um, I stepped in, and one of the first things that she told me is, Tom, you're not broken. And I don't know how she know, knew that I needed to hear that because I, I definitely did feel broken at the time. But yes, to answer your question, there was a there was a stigma, and uh, and that's something I try to try to walk through with my patients um, in clinic when I'm you know when they come with with mental health issues that you know I try to normalize therapy and, and, and tell them that therapy is a great a great thing. I feel like like therapy, you know, in uh, comparing therapy to like medication, you know, there's a lot of different flavors of, of mental health meds out there and there's a lot of therapists out there and you just got to kind of find the one that works best for you. So if you don't find one that, that, that works for you at the beginning, it doesn't mean all therapy is terrible and hope is lost. Sometimes it takes a bit, but overall I've had a very positive experience. I'll, I'll be honest. My experience with therapy was, was pretty negative for <laughs> a good long while. Um, it, it took me a while to realize that not all therapists are the same and it's more of a relationship than it is a product, I guess you could say. And so, yeah, since having some of those more difficult experiences, I have found a, a pretty awesome therapist. She's, she's been excellent. So what, 
got you over the stigma? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I feel like, um, I guess just seeing the results and applying the tools that I was learning through therapy is really the answer, is what I would say. It, it definitely doesn't happen overnight. And I feel like that's a hard thing in today's society because there's, we have on-demand everything, right? You can get anything your heart desires off the internet on your doorstep in two days. That mindset of it's going to take a while can be difficult in today's world when we live in that uh, get what you want when you want it type of culture. But yeah, just over time, seeing the way that uh, applying the tools through therapy, it was it was huge. Yeah, paint me the the picture of life before therapy. Yeah, so um, the reason I the reason I, I ended up in therapy is I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder. And prior to therapy, you know, I, I feel like getting a diagnosis is half the battle a lot of times in mental health. Um, because I knew I wasn't happy. I knew I was struggling. Um, and I didn't know quite why. There were a lot of things that took place that led up to me actually stepping foot in the therapy program I ended up in. A lot, I believe, was nothing less than divine intervention. Prior to therapy, I guess I'd just explain, describe myself as kind of lost and grasping for, for strings, grasping for happiness, um, and not really knowing why I couldn't, why I couldn't grasp it. It just always seemed like it was kind of falling through. Was it like just a, a feeling or was it like a self-worth type thing? Like what, what was that lack of happiness like, or how would you describe what you were kind of going through? This is the hard thing. Like, there's so many thoughts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, it's so deep. Trying to peel back the layers is it's difficult. I'll do the best I can. So I think I think it's important to, to kind of understand what OCD is before I kind of start telling my story. Um, I feel like a lot of people use the term OCD very loosely. You know, like, oh, I need to clean my house today. I'm so OCD. You know, if I don't have everything organized perfectly, I'm, you know, it's my OCD. Which definitely, you know, for some people, that that is what they struggle with, is is cleanliness and organizational OCD. But OCD at the core is an anxiety disorder. So basically, kind of to invite you into the brain of kind of like what happens with an OCD individual or someone, an individual who struggles with OCD. Usually, there's some sort of some sort of trigger, and and that trigger will produce intrusive thoughts. Um, intrusive thoughts are also known as obsessions, right? So the obsession part of OCD and those obsessions, those obtrusive thoughts, um, they create a perceived threat in the mind. And that perceived threat is very anxiety provoking. It causes a lot of distress in, in a person with OCD. So to neutralize that threat, to neutralize that anxiety and that distress, an individual will will perform neutralizing behaviors. And this is the compulsion part of OCD. So they'll do whatever they can to get rid of that perceived threat. So they'll, they'll you know, do their compulsion. And that sends a message to the brain that that threat was a threat, right? And then the cycle starts over again. Then there's another trigger. And then there's more intrusive thoughts. And then there's, you know, leads to perceived threats. And, and it just kind of goes down you know, this, this spiral, this OCD spiral. 
Um, for me, my specific diagnosis is called scrupulosity. And what, what scrupulosity is, it's an obsession. It's basically a moral obsession. And there's, there's a religious aspect to it uh, a lot of the times. It, it's been known, also known as worthiness OCD. So just to kind of walk through kind of that cycle as far as kind of what it looked like for me. Um, and, I'll, and I'll give you a specific example, kind of like a specific story. Um, there was one time <clears throat> I was at the gym before work and there was a TV. And on the TV, I think it was a commercial or a, a show. I guess it doesn't really matter. But there was a, a less than modest individual on the on the television. And I literally just glanced at it. And the intrusive thoughts just started flowing in. And what it looked like for me was, you know, Tom, you're not worthy. How can you go to church on Sunday when you just looked at that? And I know that th these are going to sound ridiculous. And, and that's kind of what OCD, you know, intrusive thoughts are kind of ridiculous. Yeah. To someone who's not experiencing them, that it sounds at times insane, to be honest. But, you know, you're not worthy. You know, how can you how can you go to church? Um, you're going to hell. How can you ever be happy because you're you're so dirty? You know, all these all these intrusive thoughts that, you know, that are threatening, that, that, that cause anxiety and distress. So immediately my urge to neutralize and, and my compulsion to neutralize those those threats um, was confession. So, you know, for about the 10 years that I that the OCD plagued my life, I I counted over 10 bishops that I would regularly visit and like bless these bishops hearts they were they were all so kind and so patient but i was in their office sometimes weekly we moved quite a bit our, our first couple years of marriage so had a lot of different bishops and uh i would confess and some of the confessions were were pretty silly one time um i was changing my son's diaper when he was a baby and he was being squirmy like babies can be and i kind of pushed him back onto the couch and all these intrusive thoughts of like, holy cow, that was too, that was too aggressive. You're an abuser. You're an abusive father. Like all these things, right? So I literally confessed to a bishop that I pushed my son onto a couch that was like very calmly, right? <laughs> like I confess that. Um, and that, that was how I lived for years, just feeling, feeling that way, feeling like I was unworthy and, and dirty and that I was, gonna go to hell it, it definitely provoked depression like there were times where i wasn't functioning very well there were times where it was, it was extremely hard to get out of bed and, and to get the day going because the night before here's another one uh one time me and my wife were were kind of having a, a heated discussion in the car and i knew she she hates it when i take turns a little too sharp so during this heated discussion you know, as kind of having an adult tantrum here, I took a turn too sharp on purpose and, and all the intrusive thoughts started coming, right? Like I'm, I'm a terrible person. I'm an abusive husband. And those thoughts would linger until I would go and confess. So yeah, it, it definitely played into my, my self-worth and made it hard to function just as an individual in society. How did you come to this realization that um, that's what was the issue and that you needed therapy to, uh, to resolve it. Yeah. So over 10 bishops that I had confessed to, and I had a, an amazing bishop that 
was extremely patient and extremely just showed so much love. I got to the point where I felt bad that I was in his office so much. So at times I would confess over text <laughs> just just to get rid of the anxiety. So I was texting him one night. Um, again, probably something extremely ridiculous that was causing anxiety. And he shooted a text back and he said, Tom, have you heard of scrupulosity? And I never heard the word in my life. And I immediately just got on the internet and started researching it. And I, I think it was just the Google definition that popped up that just struck a huge chord with me. Like, holy cow, that's, that's how I feel. And when I talked to him later about it, he, he just did a quick Google search and that came up. Um, thank heavens for Google, right? right. Um, <laughs> um, I had a coworker at the time and I knew that they had cut back like, a lot on their hours to do some sort of treatment. I had no idea what it was for. I didn't know if it was for mental health. I didn't know if it was for something else. Um, but I knew that I knew that they had been doing some sort of treatment for quite a while. And we were at work one day, um, heating up our lunch in the break room. And I had a really strong impression just to ask them if they knew about scrupulosity. And looking back, like that's not me at all. Like, I don't just ask random questions like that. But I asked them, I was like, hey, um, have you ever heard of scrupulosity? And they're like, yeah, I have it. And I was like, no way. And they're like, yeah, you know that the, the treatment I've been going through, it's, it's called a, um, an intense outpatient program. And I go, I go five days a week for three hours every day. And I'm, I'm getting help. And, and that's how I got into therapy because I opened up, I opened up to him and I was like, you know what? I think I'm struggling with the exact same thing. And so that's how I, that's how I found, that's how I found the, the therapy program. And it's, it's interesting how those moments come into our lives. And I can't help but point out like the willingness to, to have that vulnerability to talk about that stuff. And so, you know, you kind of mentioned this, this idea of naming it to tame it. Um, so you have it named what, what was the process or the therapy like to, to start to tame this? Um, kind of what therapy looked like. Um, it was an hour of group therapy. And I was really nervous about group therapy. <laughs> there was a room full of people um, with a whole bunch of different OCD diagnoses, right? Diagnoses. So um, scrupulosity, harm OCD was one um, that was kind of common in my group. The cleanliness OCD that, you know, that a lot of people are, are familiar with, but it, it's the same spiral for everyone, right? It's the, the intrusive thoughts, the perceived threat, the neutralizing. So we, we were all working through the same model and it was extremely empowering to sit in a room full of people and, and to have them be vulnerable. And, and that's, that's difficult, right? But to have them open up and to share their experience. And I began to open up and, you know, kind of share my experiences and, and my struggles and, um, you know, one-on-one therapy is one thing, group therapy, it's a whole new level of vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it was extremely helpful and, um, you know, it created bonds and, 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 and trust with, with, with these individuals that I went through this extremely difficult therapy process with. Um, so the first hour was that. And then, uh, the next two hours, um, was, is what we called exposure therapy. 
Um, and exposure therapy is extremely effective for OCD. So kind of what it looked like is um, I met with my therapist one-on-one um, prior to kind of jumping into these exposures, and we created a hierarchy. We created several hierarchies. What the hierarchies look like is experiences that we'd be exposed to that would trigger intrusive thoughts and, and trigger basically the OCD cascade. And they started kind of mild. And then as you, as you, you know, worked up the ladder, it, it got more and more difficult. And, and during these exposures, um, we would um, apply the tools that we were learning throughout therapy. So an example of one of my um, kind of hierarchies, my exposure hierarchy, was swearing. <laughs> so a lot of people laugh, but like I, I, I did not swear. Like I had never like a, a naughty word never passed my lips. Like I was, <laughs> I was you know a, a pretty, pretty clean talker, I guess. I don't know, and uh, I, I just never sworn. So. It, it created a lot of anxiety and it, it, it made me feel like I was extremely unworthy. So um, the first step of the hierarchy was um, we played the game BS. So it was, it was me and a clinical assistant um, that would play BS. And we first started just saying BS and then worked up my way to actually saying bullshit. And then got to the point where during the game, the card game, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the game BS, it's a card game. Um, I was yelling bullshit, and then it got to the point where I would have to um, walk around the clinic, and, and everybody's doing exposures during these two hours. So there's exposure rooms that you know I would just knock on, and other other patients are doing exposures, and I would just walk in and like in conversation say a swear word, and it was extremely difficult. It got to the point where I was yelling words down the clinic hallway, just like bitch as loud as I could um, and then using tools and you know kind of breaking the cycle as, as my OCD literally spiraling out of control so hierarchy that's kind of like what exposure therapy looked like just kind of working through the hierarchy and, and, and using tools to, to, to yeah to break that cycle what are some of the tools that you applied to to your exposure therapy that helped because you've kind of walked us through what that cycle is like, the intrusive thoughts, neutralizing. Um, how did you begin to, to break those and what kind of tools did you use to go about that? One of the ones I mentioned um, that, that helped a lot was name it to tame it. Like when I had those intrusive thoughts, I would, I would name it like this is OCD. Like OCD is happening right now, right? And it works, it works great with anxiety too. Like, you know, this is anxiety. Um, with, with mental health, I feel like, you know, OCD, anxiety, depression, whatever your mental health, um, struggle may be it, sometimes it's hard to trust your inner thoughts um, and, and it's definitely that way with OCD so I would I would name it to tame it another one that was huge for me in my treatment was and for OCD treatment in general is, is just living in the unknown and that was extremely hard for me after I would go through these exposures you know a day of swearing at the at the clinic during therapy I would I would drive home in tears just like can I go to church? Like, can I, like, how can I be a father? Like just all these terrible things. And, and they taught me to live in the unknown. And that was extremely difficult, but extremely effective. So um, I kind of used the, the hook statement of maybe, like maybe Tom, maybe you are unworthy. And, and then to sit in that. And that's something else that was extremely effective is not running from the emotion, 
but learning to to literally marinate in that, marinate in that emotion, whether it be negative, whether it be positive, um, just sitting in it and not neutralizing it, not making making it less intense, just letting it come. And they they called that riding the wave in therapy, right? Some waves are big, some waves are small, and honestly. Some intrusive thoughts last, lasted, have lasted for days. And, and I'm not speaking like I'm cured. Like this, this is still an ongoing thing, right? Um, sometimes I, I have to ride the wave for days and it, it takes a while. Um, but there was a, an analogy that I learned in therapy um, that just kind of paints, paints the picture. So uh, my therapist said, your intrusive thoughts, your anxiety, your distress, it's kind of like an annoying cousin. The type of cousin that wants to talk politics and wants to just be a motor mouth and, you know, you can't get a word in, you know, they're just blah, 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 blah. And so they, they ring your doorbell and they're at your doorstep and you invite the, you invite the cousin in and you say, you know what, have a seat and you treat him with respect. You invite him in, but that doesn't mean that you have to give your whole day to them. Right. So you can still, you know, do your chores. You can still, you know, clean the house, do the laundry, whatever you need to do and, and just let them talk. And that, that really hit home with my intrusive thoughts, right? Like, um, I, I shouldn't push them away, invite them in and still, still function, still move on with my life. If that makes any sense. It does. It's interesting too, because it sounds like you were doing this external uh, exposure therapy. And, and a lot of the tools that you're mentioning almost sound like an internal version of that exposure therapy of like marinating in the thoughts of, of inviting it in and, but not giving it your whole day. I just wanted to, there was a, I'm not like a, a poem lover, but this poem has stuck with me. It was a poem that my, my therapist shared. And it really just kind of paints that picture of inviting the emotion and not running from it, kind of sitting, sitting with that emotion, not pushing it away. Um, it's by an author, uh, his or her name is, is Rumi and it's called the guest house. Um, it's pretty short. Is all right if I, if I share it? Yeah, go for it, man. All right. So it says, uh, this being human is a guest house every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some monetary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Even if they are a, a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house, empty of its furniture, still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. And like I said, I, I normally am not like a fan of, of poetry, but. <laughs> That that one stuck with me, just to to allow the emotion to to come in and not not push it away. It's been really helpful. Thanks for sharing that, Dom. I appreciate it. Give me a sense of how going to therapy, learning how to to work with and manage um, your OCD has impacted your life in the now. Yeah, you know, it's something. The answer to that question is still in process, right? There's not a day that goes by that I don't apply the tools that I learned from therapy. A big one is just allowing it to be messy, you know? 
a lot of people with with OCD and anxiety disorders they 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 want everything to be perfect, right? There's a there's a strong sense of perfectionism, but allowing yourself to hold on to the end and the or. So what I mean by that is I feel like with perfectionism, you know, with with anxiety, with with a lot of array of mental health, it's so easy to live with the or. So I can be happy or I can be sad. I can be having a good time or I can be miserable. But just learning to hold both emotions in the same hand at the same time, living with the and, you know, like I can be happy and I can be, I can be experiencing some feelings of distraughtness too. And that's something I'm still striving to, to grapple with a bit. But for the longest time, I felt like I couldn't be happy unless everything was perfect or at least what I perceived as perfect. Christmas time, like, holy cow, terrible time for me because I wanted to feel that happiness and the joy of the season, but if everything wasn't perfect, it was miserable. I'm definitely living in the or and not, not the and. So it's, it's, it's a day-by-day process for me, but just continuing to apply the things I've learned. And um, with OCD, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a lifelong battle, right? It's, it's nothing that goes away, as is a lot of mental illnesses. But it's something I, I still do exposures. <laughs> I'll still, uh, you know, spout out a swear word every every once in a while, and and at times it zings me, right? It, it gets the OCD spiral going, but um, continuing to do those things I learn is, is, you know, and just keep moving forward day by day is what it's, you know, what it's been like. Kind of reminds me of something from my own experience, and I wanted to get your thought on it, but something that I've been noticing as beneficial for myself. And I I think this might kind of almost align with the idea of exposure therapy, but is making things difficult on purpose, like manufacturing some hardship. So that idea of, you know, saying a swear word and letting that OCD spiral start to come in so that you can face it. um, You know, it kind of reminds me almost as if you're you're practicing and you're honing those tools. Um, Would you say that's like an accurate experience of, or kind of process that you're going through or how would you explain that? Absolutely. And I remember my last day in, in the uh, therapy program, you know, spent spent many hours at this clinic going through through this therapy that was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, to be honest. On the last day, you know, my therapist was like, this is a lifelong thing. And it's, it's almost like a muscle, right? If you don't use it, you lose it. So absolutely creating those um, those instances where I can continue to keep my my mental skills sharp for sure, but yeah, you know if if you don't if you don't allow yourself to to be faced with with resistance, there's there's no new growth. So absolutely, the person that's listening to this, you know, and maybe identifying with the struggle of of worthiness, um, you know, what is a healthy relationship with that question versus this is something that I need to start addressing. I need some help with this because not everybody who asks the question of, am I worthy to be here? It, you know, has, has this particular form of OCD, right? So how, how do you, I, I don't, <laughs> we may not have the answer to this question, to be honest, but how do you go about figuring out what's that, that breaking point 
of I need to start asking for help and working through and finding out what this is. I don't know. Does that make sense what I'm asking? We can totally abandon this line or this track. No, like there's definitely something here. Like, and I, I'm feeling the same way. Like, I think the answer is that it's, it's not black and white as far as getting help. Um, you know, if, if, if you feel like, you know, you're struggling to, to do your activities of daily living like I was, then, then absolutely yes. But as far as the worthiness question, I can't answer that because I'm living in the unknown. I will spiral down very quickly <laughs> if I try to go back to black and white. Am I worthy? Maybe, you know, and that sounds crazy. It sounds crazy that somebody such as myself learned how to swear and felt closer to God doing so. How crazy does that sound? But it's true for me, right? I was so rigid and so miserable that my relationship with God was was suffering. Um, I couldn't feel his presence in my life because of the extreme anxiety and distress I was having. But learning to not be so rigid and, and living in the maybe, I have had spiritual growth that has been leaps and bounds ahead of what I what I used to be. So it's it's different for everybody, but for me, I continue to live in the maybe, you know? And that sounds weird. Like and it it still sounds weird for me who's gone through it and who's who's continuing to go through it. But you know, that I just go back to, you know, am I worthy to take the sacraments? Maybe. But I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna invite those emotions and, and sit in them and and, and ride the wave and do everything I've I, I've learned in therapy and, and continue to to live life, you know, a day at a time. I feel like that message of maybe this message of it's not black and white will resonate with a lot of people. Oh, thank you. And honestly, like everyone's everyone's experience is so different. And that's why I admire what you're doing here, because there's just so many different experiences and um, there's no one size fits all. But for me, I, I never doubted God's love for me. That wasn't that wasn't an issue. That wasn't the issue for me. Um, yes, I felt definitely felt frustrated and angry of, of why everyone would stand at the pulpit at church and just explain their their testimony as you know I know this and I know that and I had this amazing experience in the temple and it, it was painful to go to the temple for me and, and honestly it, it's it still is it's hard but I do it. And I, and I, and I feel God's love. I do. Um, the biggest, one of the biggest things that, that I love, just the, the imagery, um, is, is in the, in the Bible, it talks about being yoked with the Savior. But a yoke is like a wooden beam that's sometimes used between a pair of oxen or other animals to share the load that's being pulled. And all throughout my mental health journey, that's, you know, because religion, has played a big part of that mental health journey. And I've really felt being yoked with the Savior, helping, you know, share him sharing that load has, has been a huge part of how I've gotten through and how I continue to get through. Can I ask you a hard question? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I mean this from a, a sense of searching for an answer. And, you know, like like you just said, everybody's experience is different. Um, one of the the things that I've really struggled with, um, and especially with this this idea of depression and and the lows that it can bring you to, is I've I've had experiences 
where I felt like I was living my life in a way to be worthy of that help and desperately asking for it. And it felt like it never came. And that's something that I really struggle with. I have what I think is an answer, but I don't know that it necessarily measures up with everybody else's experience in that I feel like there are times where you are, where he steps away to see what happens and to see, um, I don't know, man, I, I just feel like, cause even, even Christ on the cross, right. Asked if, if he'd been forsaken. And so if, if God is willing to let his son go through something to where he felt like he had been left, is that something that we're meant to experience as well? Or should that help of being yoked with the Savior always be there? And if it feels like it's not, what does that mean? You know, in my experience, absolutely not. Like it's, And I know I just made it sound like I was up at the pulpit saying that everything was perfect, like I had just mentioned. And it's, but absolutely not. There's, there's times where I felt completely alone, completely forsaken. And I wish there was more transparency, you know, more vulnerability, because I think that's a lot more common than people talk about. And I don't want people to stand at the pulpit and just be negative. You know, I don't, I don't want to go to church and hear that. So I get it. I get why, why that's the case. But it's always easier in retrospect, right, to look and, and see those moments where he was there. You know, God was there. The Savior was there pulling right along with. But I did feel completely and utterly alone and at times angry, like bitter. And it's tough. It's, it's, it's difficult. But amidst the suffering, there's those moments like where I asked my coworker at work, like, that was such a left field question. Do you know what scrupulosity is? You know, without a doubt. And it, and it keeps happening for me day to day. So with my therapy, I, I did therapy right before I began PA school. So PA school is a very intense two and a half years. And I just came out of this extremely vulnerable, difficult, most difficult thing I've ever done in my life and got kind of thrown into the fire of this intense medical training. And lo and behold, God placed someone in my life that that just kind of helped me through and, and guided me through. It was, I think, the first couple of weeks of school, we were doing a, an activity, kind of cheesy, of like, you know, get to know, you know, put us in groups of four and like, get to know your fellow classmates because you're going to be suffering for the next two and a half years together. And I hate the get to know you games. I'm not going to lie. I, I know. <laughs> I mean, and it's like a master's program and we're still doing it. But hey, I decided to be vulnerable. And I, and we were supposed to talk about something that we had overcome. And I decided to talk about my newly, you know, my new diagnosis of OCD and how I'm kind of navigating that and how it's been difficult. And after class, I was walking out and this classmate stopped me. And they're like, hey, can I talk with you? I was like, yeah. And they said, I have OCD too. And I've been through therapy and it's still a struggle for me. And that classmate helped me the entire two and a half years. And like, once again, I, I believe that was nothing less than God's hand in my life, putting that person there to, to help me out. And so absolutely, Ian, like I totally agree with you. Like there's times where it's just dark and it's difficult 
And I think that's the time where man's faith is tested, you know, like, what are you going to do? How are you going to, how are you going to react? But for me, the sunrise always comes, you know, and with the sunrise, there's always a sunset. <laughs> Crap hits the fan again in life, but isn't that just life, you know, kind of riding the wave, right? Going through the ups and downs. It's kind of been my experience. I think I want to highlight something, but I'd like to try and find those opportunities where that vulnerability is, has opened up some doors like that. This is kind of becoming a trend of vulnerability, right? Like vulnerability, it is painful or it's not necessarily painful, but it's very uncomfortable Absolutely. and it's not something somebody looks forward to. And a lot of people associate being vulnerability with, with weakness, which in my opinion is, is completely wrong. I got off a phone call today talking with somebody that's a, a professional in the mental health field, and she was talking about how courageous the act of vulnerability is. And I don't know, man, like just having you come on, share your experiences and, and hearing those those moments of vulnerability and what they led to, even for, you know, your PA program, totally unexpected that that would that you would find somebody who struggled with something similar. And that would be a bond that helped you both through the experience of PA school. Yeah. Just wanted to highlight that because it's something I've been seeing in a lot of stories. And I couldn't agree more. Like it's difficult. It's it's hard to be vulnerable for sure. And kind of in a a less intense sense of vulnerability, um, me and my wife um were talking a few months ago that every every like lasting friendship that we've made, you know, as a couple, it started out with some moment of vulnerability asking for help, right? And that's a big, it's kind of a a thing that, that can be looked down upon. You know, like, oh, I don't need help. I can do it by myself. But the, the neighbors and, and the, the friends that, that we've asked for help with have, have turned into beautiful, trusting relationships. Yeah. And we, we would, you know, we look at our friends and we would hope that they would ask us for help if they needed it. But yet to turn around and then say, I myself can't ask for help. We're denying them the opportunity to assist us and to build that relationship as well. I don't know. It's, it's been a consistent theme as well to, to have this higher standard of, of not asking for help and I'll do it myself for an individual, but externally to the people they care about, they would jump in a heartbeat to help them. So but yeah, man. Anything else that you wanted to bring up that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered or touched on? No, <laughs> I don't think so. No. Then I have like one, maybe two quick questions for you. Um, the first is, it's not easy to talk about this stuff. It's, you know, we just talked about being vulnerable. It's an uncomfortable thing. Why come on and share your story? After I went through therapy, I really felt like it was important for me not to hide, hide my story. I mean, I don't go around flaunting it, right? But I had the resolution at that time, or I had, I, I, I decided at that time to to not be afraid to to share my experience in whatever circumstances warranted. Um, a lot of times that's that's in you know a, a, a appointment with a patient who's struggling with with mental health or who's really not necessarily scared but um, apprehensive about starting a, med, a medication for mental health. And I and I share my story as far as what's appropriate. I mean, not in length. But I think it's really important just to be more transparent because mental health is everybody experiences some sort of mental health issue in their life. 
right? Is it a lifetime, di- a, a lifetime diagnosis? Maybe not. But I feel like as a society, if we would be more open and transparent, there would be less depression. There would be less anxiety. There would be less, um, I feel, just being open and honest about our, our experiences can really empower empower others and, and help others. Because I've, I've definitely reaped those benefits of, of people sharing their experiences and being vulnerable and, and, and kind of helping me through my mental health journey. So I, I just, in a way, think it, we should all pay it forward, I guess. If you had to condense your message down to like one or two sentences, what would it be? That it's okay to ask for help. There's no shame in that. And that there is help. It's definitely not a sprint. It's a marathon. And for a lot of us, it's a lifelong marathon. Tommy, my man, it's it's always awesome to chat with you. And I'm, I'm glad we got the time to, to have this discussion and you're willing to share your experience, your story with not just me, but others. And I'm hoping this will connect with a lot of people as well. So thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening into this episode of the Unsung Battles podcast. As a reminder, you can connect with us at Win Mental Combat. There's a link in the show notes that has additional links to Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So you can connect with us on any of those platforms, as well as you can request additional information about the Forge project that we're going to be piloting. If that's something that interests you or you know a guy that could potentially benefit from that, um, please pass that along. And finally, if you found some value in this episode, uh, just ask that you share it along. Um, Find somebody else that you feel like could benefit from it and pass it along to them. Thank you again and have a stellar week.